0: everybody, to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by thehockeythinktank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We are bringing you right into the Scott family hockey discussion, usually after a couple drinks, Maybe at Thanksgiving or Christmas when we get the whole family together and we bring on the firecracker of it all, our Uncle Tim, who we have referenced repeatedly on this podcast before. Uncle Tim is an awesome youth coach from the Chicagoland area, but he does have some different views uh, from Jeff and I in terms of hockey development, and we get into that on the podcast. But before we do get into that, let's bring on the talent of the podcast, who is traveling on the road right now. And for the first time, I think, actually, he is coming to us via phone, so I don't have to see him with his shirt off. Jeff Levecchio. Jeff, what's going on today, man?
1: 12. You mean you don't get to see me with my shirt off, not you don't have to. You're, you're missing it right now, don't lie.
0: Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I do, I miss it, but no, not really.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm in, uh, I'm in Phoenix, Arizona right now with my team, uh, the U16 AAA Blues that I coach, and we actually had an unbelievable day today. We, uh, we beat a team that we got absolutely spanked and murderalized. Um, by uh, <laughs> a few weeks ago. What's that from? I think that's from Sans. Sandlot Murder Eliza. I have um, never heard yeah, that we... before. Oh, okay. Um, oh, no, sorry, it's Little Giants. What a phenomenal movie. Becky the Icebox O'Shea. For anybody who's around me in Top Stage, you'll know what's up. Uh, <laughs> Spook. <laughs> um, <but> yeah, we're... <laughs> I'm in Phoenix, and uh, yeah, we had a great day. It's absolutely gorgeous here um yeah so just happy that we got uncle tim on and uh pretty excited for him to have a chance to talk about what he believes in and why because up until now we've always had these, these discussions uh within our family the hockey the hockey patrons of our family in person and things get heated and People are, you know, stomping their feet and we never, just never come to physical blows, but you know, like we talked about in the podcast, we all want to strangle each other at times. Um, so it was nice to change the pace and do this via uh, Skype and uh, really have to listen to when other people are talking. And I'll tell you what, I, I actually really liked what uncle Tim said. I might not fully agree with everything he said, uh, but I definitely understand where he's coming from. And I, if I was the coach, little kids, which I never will. <laughs> 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 I applaud anyone out there in the world who has the patience to do that. Literally great for you. You guys are amazing humans. Um, I'll buy a beer next time I see it uh, because it's amazing. But anybody who does it out there, like I, w- I would like to pull some of uncle Tim's ideas for sure.
0: Yeah, he gave great perspective, man. Like great perspective, and and like we talked about, we don't necessarily agree with everything that he says, but to hear his point of view, yeah, in an unemotional, non Scott family Irish family way, uh, it was it was really good, and he made us think. I'm sure he'll make a lot of the listeners think about different things because Timmy is he's on the spectrum that's a little bit different than USA Hockey, especially when it comes to hockey development at the younger levels. He he believes a little bit more in in the full ice capacity and in more structure. Whereas, you know, you and I and and USA hockey and a lot of the other governing bodies like to shorten the ice at the younger ages and, and let the, let the game be the teacher a little bit more, uh, on that kind of spectrum. So it was cool to hear him talk about it. He did make some great points some valid points. And, um, it's always nice to get a good back and forth and get a lot of different ideas together. I feel that's, that's kind of what our podcast is all about, you know?
1: yeah I mean, that's the goal. We're trying to bring on people that that make us and our our listeners think. I mean, if everybody did the same thing all the time, nothing would ever get changed. Nothing would ever get better. History would just keep repeating itself. I mean, so like i what I try and do in my personal life and my my business life is I try and pull the best ideas from who I believe. Um, Is making the most sense and then put all those best ideas together into then kind of my own idea or just shape it so that they all flow together and make sense. And I think people can definitely do that with some of uh, Uncle Tim's ideas from today. There's no doubt about that
0: yeah yeah definitely. And uh, we get into a lot of different stuff again, we talk about the cross ice and and the full ice and the structure versus the the let and play type things when it comes to hockey development. but one of the biggest things that we talked about that we all agree in is is how important it is it 's not necessarily the what we 're teaching but it's the how we 're teaching it and it's the why we 're teaching it and Tim uh, you know i 'd be hard pressed to find many people who care about the kids as, as much as he does. I think that's rubbed off on, on all of us and watching him deal with younger kids as well. And, uh, it was cool to hear his passion for the game, his passion for the kids and, and his methodology behind the madness of, of how he teaches and why he teaches those guys. Yeah.
1: And, and, you know, passion is definitely a word that exemplifies, uh, that Uncle Tim exemplifies, I mean, like, he he's a very passionate person about everything in his life, much like I probably think you and I are, and everyone in our family, actually. Um, <laughs> it's a blessing you know, and a curse. And from, <laughs> it's, uh, dude, it is 100% a blessing and a curse, and <laughs> you, you definitely bear that cross, but I uh, wouldn't have it any other way, and, you know, that old adage, they don't, uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care and Uncle Timmy definitely cares and I've been on the ice with him You know, tons of times when I was younger in my formative years and even when I was probably going up through juniors in college, been on the ice with him, lucky enough to watch him coach and kind of help out his practice practices like once a year, once every couple of years, go out there with his guys. And, you know, he cares a lot and he gets he gets the most out of his guys because they know he cares. Um, I think that's something that a lot of people can take away from this one as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, it was interesting how this whole conversation came about because we've been talking about having uncle Timmy on the podcast for, for some time. And and some of our podcast guests that have heard us reference him in the past have asked us to get him on. And the whole situation regarding getting him on at this time was, was something, and we use this word on the podcast a few times, it kind of triggered me anyway, to, to talk about this stuff. And that was the The article that came out by Ken Campbell, I believe it's in the Hockey News, about the kid that got hit from behind. It was a mite. I think he was seven or eight years old, got hit from behind in the boards. If you haven't seen the tweet or read the article, um, you can go to my Twitter and, and check it out. But one of the things that really aggravates me is when people take situations like that to promote their own ideas in a way that is like sarcastic and a way that demeans other people. And I feel like people do that, especially when it comes to this cross ice hockey thing, like even people at the top of USA hockey who are active on social media, they really aggravate me because a few of them did use that. Like a kid got hurt. A kid got hurt. And it was a nasty hit. It shouldn't have happened, but they use it as like, Oh, if this was a cross ice hockey thing, then this never would have happened. And Um, demeaning people who who disagree with them on things like that. And it just really, I sent a tweet out and I I actually got a couple of emails, not a couple, I got quite a few emails and social media messages like, what were you talking about? Because I went to Twitter and I was just like, this is absolutely ridiculous. So I, I am a believer in cross ice. I am a believer in those kinds of things. But it's all about the buy-in. It doesn't matter how good your idea is, and the cross ice hockey is an idea, an idea that I do believe in. But if you treat people like they're dumb or they're stupid, if they don't believe in the things that you believe in, you're never going to get them to buy into your idea. And that's where my tweet was coming from. And I know if people, some people got confused by that. Again, I got some messages about it. But uh, again, if you want, like, if you want to have a discussion with people, listen and have a discussion with them. Don't just spout your points and be sarcastic about it because you think you know everything because, you know, you don't. And there's always different perspectives. There's always different ways of looking at things. And I think that's what our podcast is all about. And, and that's again, Jeff and I, like, we just want to be the dumbest people in the room at all times. And we want to listen to Everybody that has an opinion on certain things. We're not necessarily going to agree with you, but we want to listen to what you have to say. And I think if more people did that in the hockey world, then the hockey world would – it would be a lot better and it would develop a lot faster than it is right now.
1: Well said, Toph. Well said. Um, Love that soapbox you were just on. Two things to that – Two things to that point. One, I was one of the people who didn't understand what that tweet was. I remember texting you and being like, huh? What are we talking about here? I just didn't understand uh, the way you phrased it. And then I figured it out after he told me. And two, maybe going to Twitter when you're upset isn't the best thing.
0: (laughs) I don't get upset often, though. You know, like it's one of those things where I know. I no, trust me, I know. And uh, you know, you know me well enough. You know me more than most people. And it it takes takes a lot to get me upset. And uh, just seeing how people use that story of the kid getting hurt to get on their soapbox and basically tell people who don't believe in what they're doing that they're stupid and they're dumb. I just I don't believe in that, and that really rattles me, and it doesn't advance our sport, especially when it's coming from people who hold positions of power in the hockey world that are the ones that are disseminating the information and who need to move the needle. When those people are doing that, they're not going to get the people who need to buy in to buy into what they're selling, and it's just it's wrong.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was— I don't even know who you're talking about from USA hockey. Cause I probably don't follow them on Twitter, but uh, like, I totally agree with that. And too, like, I watched that video a billion times and how far the kid skated. He could have been doing that in cross ice too. Like, what'd he go from the blue line to the goal line? Okay. Well you could go that far in cross ice. So I mean, to even say like, all oh, this would have never happened in cross ice. Like, okay. I've seen kids skate the full length of the ice with no other kids touching them. The full length of the, the cross ice in cross ice hockey and, and it could happen. It could have happened there too. So like, you know, that's just stupid to say this wouldn't have happened in cross ice. um, but yeah, I mean I, I totally agree. There's there's no point in using an injured child to uh promote your agenda, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, and that's that's what really triggered me and um that's why I sent the tweet out that nobody understood. So bad on me, but it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have a podcast with thousands of listeners now that uh where I can explain myself. So here here it is, but uh no, I, hey, it's all about the kids and and that's one of the things that that really shines through in this episode with Timmy is it is. It's it's all about the kids. And if we can have cordial conversations where we actually listen to each other, like I think a lot of this podcast was about, which doesn't happen at our dinner table after a few beers, which, which is pretty funny. <laughs> we talk about needing when we have family functions now, we need to sit in different rooms and be on computers. So we, we can't be physical with each other, uh, and try to try to, uh, strangle each other, as you said. Um, but you know, Timmy's a smart guy. He's a passionate hockey guy. He's been coaching at the might level for, I think he said, 15 years and coaching, uh, youth hockey for 25 years or something like that he brings in his experiences from he was a great soccer player back in the day uh and played on some national teams with the u.s so he's gone to europe and seen how they've done their development soccer wise so it was cool to talk to him about that too and i think i think people are going to really think uh hearing him talk they might not agree with him they might not agree with us uh, but it was a great debate back and forth that's for sure
1: it 100 percent will and i just want to go back to something you just said it's so little and we literally talk about it all the time, but I feel like I can't hammer this point home enough because we, in the coaching world, we all forget about this. You just said, it's all about the kids. You said it twice. It's all about the kids and uh you know I'm here in Phoenix and there was a Milwaukee Admirals uh youth program coach I think he coaches the 18s who came up and introduced himself to me today said hey listen to the podcast i really like what you and Tope are doing and we started talking i asked him if there's anything you want to hear you know we kind of we just talked to it was really nice and we were talking about like again how it's all for the kids and like we don't really care about the record we we want the kids to want to win and to to play to win but like it's our job to also be about the development of everyone and I, I would urge everyone out there who's coaching, you know, especially like Triple A, where, you know, it's starting to get a, lo- a lot more serious, is that depending on the age, like again, it's still all about the kids. And I was on the bench today. I was coaching our D our like I was running the D today, and I usually don't do that. Um and I was running our D cause our other assistant coach had to stay home and coach his high school hockey team shout out, What's up, Durse? Um, and there's like two minutes left and you know, we got 60 and easily I could have just left our top pairing out there. And I'm in my head. I'm like, okay, no, I want these other kids to also learn how to play in the last two minutes of the game where the game is close. And like, I easily could have just kept our horses out there. And I was like, no, like I want everyone to develop, like it's about the kids. And then, so I made sure that all three pairings got out there in the last two minutes. So they could all learn about that, that uh, kind of desperation and, and uh really clutch time of the game so that they could all get experience about being out there. And I think that everyone needs to kind of just always remember when you're on the bench and you're in the heat of things, why am I doing this? Why am I here? Is it to win this game on a, December, whatever today's date is in Phoenix, Arizona. No, it's to help each kid become the best they can be. So I just urge everyone to think about that. And uncle Tim really made me think about that on this podcast. Like, even though I differ in his ideas, just like you do at least a little bit, what he's doing is to help them at the next level. And he's doing what he believes is right. And I absolutely admire that.
0: For sure man, for sure. I mean, we got a lot out of this podcast for sure and uh, I think a lot of the listeners are too. So, um but before we do get over to Uncle Timmy, uh we do have a lot of people to thank as we always do uh towards the end of our introductions here. First, we want to thank Gelsticks who's the title sponsor for our podcast. Uh again, you talk about doing it the right way and and really caring about the kids and the kids development. Um I think they do a fantastic job of that and uh, it, it, go to gelsticks.com it's a training aid, a shooting stick, uh, that, uh, it really helps your shot. And, uh, there's a lot of teams that use it. And, uh, because we are partnered with them through the podcast, uh, you can use the discount code think tank, uh, just one word, and you can get a discounted price on, on any stick. Go to Gelsticks.com, G E L S T X.com. And, uh, yeah, and, and try out one of their training aids because, uh, again, like I said, a lot of people are using it and, and finding some, some big time, pluses from it and then obviously as always we want to thank everybody out there that's listening to our podcast and uh, this thing keeps growing and growing and growing and growing and uh, that doesn't happen without all of your support so uh, all of your feedback again to, to help us get the word out there if you do agree with or disagree with, but like what we're saying or think it helps people in the hockey world. If you can help us to share it, whether it's uh, in your email groups, your Facebook groups, your social media groups, uh, even taking a, uh, like a, A screenshot of of the podcast on your Apple Podcasts on your phone and and sharing it on your social media. Um, That goes a long way. If you leave us reviews and ratings on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, uh, again, that goes a long way to helping us spread the word and spreading the positive positive vibes uh, about the youth hockey world and, uh, you know, the the hockey world of, of professionals and college as well. So uh, we really appreciate everybody that's left us feedback. We really appreciate everybody that's supported our journey here. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're over 80 episodes in. Can't believe how this thing has grown. And, and Jeff and I just thank you guys so much for that. <laughs> <laughs> Did I rattle on a little bit too long there? I felt like I, ram- no, I rambled no, no. a little bit there. Um, no, but I, just- I loved it. Yeah, I just I get I am like I kind of get sentimental about it because this is something that we care a lot about and uh, want to make sure that we we give gratitude where gratitude needs to be given. And that's to everybody that tunes in and listens. So um, enough of us rambling on. Let's get over to this awesome conversation. It's a funny conversation. It gets serious, gets a little bit heated. You get all the above uh, as we go through here. So without further ado, here is our Uncle Tim, Timmy Scott. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast, one of the people that Jeff and I have been asked repeatedly to get on, because we do mention him a few times throughout our episodes, our Uncle Tim, Timmy Scott. So Timmy, how are you doing today out in Chicago?
2: Doing very well today, Dove. What's going on with you guys?
0: Just living the dream. Can't complain. Living the dream. Vex, how are you doing out there?
3: I gotta say I'm great. One of my boys, uh, one of my D1 guys is home for Christmas break who I haven't seen in a minute. So got to train him this morning with some other junior guys home for the for the uh, Christmas break and Josh Paul's just coming off his sixth gold in a row at a Paralympic challenge up against Team Canada. Nice. Uh, they, d- they dusted the checks. Uh, they beat Canada twice and somebody else so happy to get him back in the gym and exciting to see the boys. Awesome. Spudsy. Yeah. And if, uh, for everybody listening, if you
0: haven't listened to that episode, Josh Paul's captain of the USA sled hockey Olympic team, um, was a great conversation with him. Motivational speaker as well. Just came out with a book. So get into the archives and, and go listen to that one. But I'm really excited to, uh, to have our uncle Tim on the podcast here today. And, uh, you know, we went through it in the introduction, but, uh, he's a coach with the Chicago Jets, a youth team in Chicago he has been coaching hockey for 23 years. And, uh, we kind of want to give you a little bit of a window into the uh, the Scott family, let's call it Thanksgiving dinner table after a few drinks <laughs> conversation, because <laughs> as as anybody who knows Irish people, the uh, can get a little heated. Uh, can be very entertaining and, and a lot of fun. So uh, Uncle Timmy is typically in the middle of, of a lot of those conversations, which is great. But um, we want to get into a little bit of, uh, of your past and, and just uh, what we do at the beginning of our podcast is we want to tell our listeners about how you fell in love with the game, how you got into the game. So if you could just give us a little bit of a flyby of, of how you fell in love with the great sport of
2: hockey. All right, well falling in love with uh hockey came on very early for me. I started skating at about 3 and I was uh playing full ice games at about 4 years old. Keyword. For, yeah, <laughs> I love how you threw that in there. <laughs> for the uh, for the Chicago uh Shields organization um, which you know, had been around for quite uh quite a short period of time and Ended up not being around for a very long period of time. But then, you know, went to uh, Rolling Meadows Warriors and kind of continued on from there. Um, You know, the game for me, uh, dad made ice in the backyard every year. Uh, The game for me was kind of religion, especially when I was a little guy. Uh, Very funny story that I like to share with uh, people from time to time was uh, Sunday school. You know got bumped for hockey you know and the nuns were not too happy about it I can tell you that dad walks into the classroom the nun goes you can't take him away from here dad's like uh yeah let's go and off we go to hockey and then uh then hockey became the religion from that point on so um not sure that that's going to benefit me later in life but you know <laughs> <laughs> you know it's so funny what just is. to
0: just to piggyback off that though like you know as you know, I, I didn't grow up going to church or anything like that. I wouldn't consider my upbringing being religious. But right. talk about with my family all the time, like what is religion? And it's kind of like where you learn your morals and, and your values and stuff like that. And, and when people ask me like what my religion is, I kind of I, I just say hockey because yeah. hockey is where I learned – all the life skills that I have today. So it's just, it's interesting that you bring that up, but I'm sure, you know, you learn those things in in church and Sunday school or whatever denomination you are. Um, but yeah, it It
2: doesn't matter where you learn them as long as you learn them. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think that one of the biggest themes of our podcast obviously is, is teaching not only about the game, but, what the game can do to teach you about life. And so just an interesting segue with you talking about that. But hockey wasn't your your only passion. You were a great soccer player growing up and got to play on some really high-quality teams and, and got to spend some time over in Europe playing and, and learning about the way that they do it over there because USA soccer, not great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, for the men anyway. The women are kicking ass, but right. the men, not so much. They're, uh, they're but getting one, better. Yeah. Wanted to ask you because – we love talking about multiple sports and how using multiple sports can actually help you in your hockey. Um, How did your experience in playing a high level soccer, especially over in Europe um, influence you as a player? And then now as a coach, many, many years later,
2: many, many, many uh, years later, many, (laughs) a couple more many's years later. This isn't on video. I'd be showing my age. Uh, Yeah, no, I mean, you know, honestly, Europe was a big experience for me uh, in many many different ways but uh, you know relating to the way that I coach now the biggest eye-opener for me going over to Europe was that the American kids uh, at least the ones on my team there were you know teams at every age level uh, we were playing in some of the biggest tournaments in Europe Uh, the Dana Cup it's got like five, 600 teams in it and it's been going forever. And we play against all of the national teams from the other countries and things like that. So it was a pretty significant thing. We went to Russia. Um, we played there for about a week in Minsk and Moscow. And I, I think the biggest, you know, takeaway from that entire experience was And and I know this is a debate that we're going to get into at some point here on the podcast, so I might as well jump right in. (laughs) Uh, But the biggest thing was... That's not your style. (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) Just knocking down the door early. (laughs) But uh, no, you know, the biggest thing was we went over there from a skills perspective. The American kids, mostly because we had coaches who really didn't know how to coach the game as well here, because obviously we were kind of still in the infancy of soccer here in the United States. Cause this is back in like 87. Um, it hadn't, it hasn't grown, you know, didn't really grow to what it is right now. Um, you know, back then it was much smaller. So, uh, the coaching was worse. I mean, there's no other way to say it. Right. So, but when we got to Europe, um, Whenever we were in a youth hostel or we were, you know, in a school location, you know, all the kids from all the different countries would kind of meet out back. There was always soccer fields out there behind the uh, school or the hostel or wherever, and we'd all go out there with balls every night and start playing around. And we played all different kinds of games and had, you know, skills tests against each other. And what I took away from that was, you know, I could pretty much outskill with a ball any kid on the field. Didn't really matter who he was. Um, We would go into games during the tournaments and we would absolutely get hammered. I mean, you know, it was probably, we went about 500 on the trip, but whenever we came against, came up against a team uh, that was, you know, I don't want to say, I don't think we ever met a team that was as skilled with the ball as we were as an individual but their team or their soccer sense was so much beyond where we were so far beyond where we were. It wasn't even funny. Um, So that kind of is where my whole thing came about my philosophy in coaching uh, whether it's hockey, soccer, or anything else came about. You got to understand that you got to be able to play the team game to be successful in a team sport. That's super interesting because, um, you know, I played over in Europe
3: and and Asia for seven years. And one of the teams that I played on was in Japan. And I've talked about this on the podcast a little bit before. And Toph and I have talked about this personally, but it was very, it's so crazy the parallel to the Japanese ice hockey right now. They don't have the coaching from when they're kids. um, But the players are all very skilled. And like people say this all the time, oh, you played in Japan. Like I know it's good money there, but how's the hockey? And I'm like, man, if you came to just a practice and watched individually, you'd be like, some of these guys would be scoring 30 goals in the NHL. They're that skilled individually. They're that fast. And with the puck, they're unbelievable. But when you put one puck out there in a game and it's a team game and it's reading, and reacting, and there's team concepts, it's completely different. They go to tournaments and they do well on the national stage now in like the second or third tier but they're nowhere near USA, Canada, Sweden, Finland, you know, all the big, big countries they are nowhere near that. But if you see them individually, you're like, holy crap, these, some of these guys could play in the show. So right. that's super, super interesting. And I definitely see a parallel there.
2: You know, what's interesting when you, when you talk about that is if you go back to the days of the Russian Red Army team, people tend to think that, you know, their skill was amazing and all this kind of stuff. If you really go back and you watch those games in nineteen eighty when we played them and so on and so forth, the reality is it's not their skill, it's their hockey sense. They had a I mean, don't get me wrong, they were very skillful players because they, you know, it was a regimented, literally red army four hours a day in the morning, four hours a day in the evening and you know, off-ice workouts and eating in between, right? So, and their, but, their vitamins they were taking. Yeah. Right, right. Quote-unquote vitamins. Unquote, vitamins. Yeah. Is this a Rocky Four kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. about? But no, I mean, you know, honestly, the reality is they always knew where each other was going to be all the time. And that doesn't come uh, from without hours and hours of on ice together working as a team, right? And they'd make blind backhanded passes everywhere because they as a part of what they had as a system so to speak guys knew how to fill holes and guys just respected the other guy would be there you know Uh, believed he would be there and they'd move the puck in that direction and sure enough the guy would be there and it all looked seamless and it was amazing it was really amazing but there was a lot of effort obviously that went into getting to that level of play that they attained back in the day.
0: Well, I think this is this is the part of the debate that I think is really interesting because you mentioned hockey sense and, and how do you develop it? And it, it from from our conversations and from hearing you talk right now, th- there's two sides of it. You have the USA Hockey, Hockey Canada, you know, one side that says let them play, let them figure it out, go put them on a pond, no structure, you know, they're going to figure it out for themselves.
2: Yeah, then you I've been have, hearing that. Then, then you
0: have the Tim Scott faction <laughs> um, the other side and, and just what you're talking about was like it was it actually was a structured thing where they just you know whether it was through repetition or whatever it may be they just knew where they were going to be so how do you how do you explain your side of it I guess I would say because what well, is your side
2: first of all well, I mean I'm I'm definitely as I you know uh, promote the things that I do uh, here in Chicago, right? I mean, my entire thing is, you know, and I'm sure you've heard the analogy team together, everyone achieves more, right? So everything that I coach that I try to stick to, so to speak is hockey sense driven, right? Like I don't believe that the kids are gonna feel as successful if they don't feel like they're a part of the team. Right, I don't feel like um, that it's a good, shall we say, life lesson to teach a young player to be heavily individual out on the ice. Right, individually oriented out on the ice. Right, they're gonna. uh, I think that if you were to take a toolbox and you were to, you know, say the guy's a carpenter, right, and he's got X amount of tools in his toolbox, right. Um, he goes out and he adds a shiny new, whatever, screwdriver. Okay, well, what's he going to look to do with that shiny new screwdriver? He's going to go and he's going to look for jobs to do with that shiny new screwdriver, right? And that's going to literally guide him down the path of those jobs and those jobs only, right? Well, it's the same thing when you're talking about a kid. What does a kid have in his toolbox? If you're constantly teaching an individual skill oriented kind of program that focus hev- focuses heavily on puck control, skating with the puck, shooting the puck, all that kind of stuff. And it's more geared toward that kind of stuff than it is towards constantly being a member of a team and passing the puck and understanding the movements of the people within the team concept, obviously, then you're going to get one or the other. And if you watch the game today at the pro level or at any level, college, you know, AHL, whatever you want, junior, there was a study but done back in 2008 um, where they literally took every NHL player for an entire year and they looked at their game. And what they found is that any individual player in the NHL never had more than a minute with the puck on his stick during an entire game, one minute. Now, if you think about that, that is the difference between a team game and an individual game, right? If You've got a youth team, you've got players who are trying to carry that puck and roll up and down the ice and do whatever it is that they want to do. And they're not looking to use their teammates. They're not looking, you know, maybe they get five or 10 bucks from dad if they score a goal or whatever it is. Right. That's driving them. But the reality is when you get to the upper levels of the game, the game is moving the puck and therefore you don't have it on your stick as much. So you need to know what to do without the puck more than you need to know what to do with the puck. In my opinion,
0: anyway. Yeah, I, I don't think any of us would disagree with you there. And, and uh, we've, I mean, we've talked on this podcast and, and I've talked about this extensively with anybody that'll listen, that passing is the most underrated skill in hockey yeah. and the one that's most not taught
2: <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> for agree. sure.
0: And, and I've, i actually, you know, it's funny, like I have people that ask me all the time because I do have a, a really big social media following, but I never really put drills, skill drill on ice on my social media, on my Instagram and my Twitter. And I do that for a reason is because I see so many people putting drills out there that involve zero passing. And that's all that. That's what it promotes. It promotes not passing an individual play and that is not the game of hockey. So I I shy away from doing any of that kind of stuff because I don't like what it promotes, just like what you're saying. I think where we differ and where we disagree is how you go about, um, how you go about teaching that teaching where to be and that kind of thing. And, and we're products of our experiences, right? So your experience that obviously was a, a seminal moment for you going over overseas in, in soccer and, and watching them do that. My experience was with a Russian coach too. And we learned puck support. As you know, you've watched us play and, and all that kind of stuff when we were kicking Jeff's ass all up and down the ice with no goalie and stuff. Um, it was a thing. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. Yeah, but there was, There was literally, at least from what I can remember, there was zero structure to what we did. It was all about passing the puck and getting open and figuring it out. And this was at the Bantam level. This wasn't even at the might score level.
2: Well, there you Um, go. There's the big difference, right? It's like when, you know, in my opinion to this day, I will say there is a time for structure and there is a time for more of a, you know, let the players make the decisions kind of game. So what
0: would those times be then?
2: Like, I do you think, think that he,
0: there's you should have more structure at the at the younger ages and
2: let them yeah, go? I definitely think that at the might level, see, I think the biggest misconception that people have about you know the word system, which has become like you know a, a horrible word in the hockey world these days. I think that there is a place for a system, and I think it's at the younger age levels, might through squirt. I think at PeeWee, you can begin to have more of a flowing kind of game because the kids understand what a system teaches them in the early years of their development, which is what? If you have a basic system that you're running, it's what I do with my mites, right? Is I literally um, have them run just a standard kind of breakout, right? And in a standard kind of breakout, what is that teaching the kid? It's teaching them where to go, the open ice to get a pass right that just teaches them not only that because I enforce it they must pass to every player on the team so you don't have one kid who never gets the puck because nobody likes them you know <laughs> it, it, you know because honestly that happens at the might level you know kids can be mean I mean there's no doubt about it right so the reality is it forces them to move the puck no matter what throughout that system, it also teaches them, where do I go? You can have the entire opposing team flowing toward the puck and one pass beats five guys, that goes laterally, right? And then you move the puck up the ice, so on and so forth, right? It gets everyone involved and it teaches them how to be a part of a team first, which I think is certainly as important as skills. Okay. And then we go on from there. Right. I think that definitely makes sense.
3: There's no doubt about that. That makes sense. Um, But I think that that takes, even at the young age, I think that takes away from the creativity of reading and reacting a little bit. I do think you need some kind of structure or system. And obviously those words, some people use them the same. Some people use them differently. Like you said, it's hard to use a verb when someone else Uh, or or now like it's hard to use a word when 10 people think that word means 10 different things. Um, So I think that's probably a problem in the hockey world, but even going back to what you guys were talking about, the drills and total same with the drills. Like, I totally agree. Every drill everyone wants to do now is all like a one person individual skill drill. And, and I believe that you make a better individual, it'll make a better team. But when you're creating Drills where it's an individual skill drill, you can bring in other people with passing, like Toe said, with reading and reacting. Like all these drills I see from from online from the Instagram coaching world is like head down, skating around cones, no awareness. So now you're there's no hockey sense. It's like it's kind of how the Japanese players play unbelievable with the puck only on their stick, but no idea where anyone else is or how to support or anything. And I think that one way to work on that in practice is like when you're doing drills where a lot of a lot of teams will have the coach be passing the puck. I'd rather the kids be passing the puck. So maybe you, you know, you got one guy coming down the ice, he's shooting and the next guy's coming down the ice, the coach passes to him. Well, instead of that, have the last kid in line have to drop down, make him make the pass. So now it's working on his awareness and his passing skills. And, you know, but yeah, it is tough. I don't know. Like how old do you, how old do you got to be when you start doing structure? Well, I think Timmy had something first.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I I don't disagree with anything that you're saying there, Jeff. Um, I've been doing mites for about 14 years. I, I usually do two teams a year. So, you know, over the course of the 23 years, I've been, you know, I've had a mite team for about 14 of those years. And what I can tell you is that everything that I discuss with my players is that, you know, when we're playing this system, they, that they always have to be looking to see where the other team is going and the system, you know, making the simple pass to the most wide open player is generally going to be the best Avenue to go down. But in addition to that, there's going to be, let's say 70% of the time, it's going to be you know, a wide open play that you know how to make because we've done it within the system. But 30% of the time, you're going to have to think for yourself and make the hockey play, right? Just make a hockey play. If this isn't the right thing to do at this time because somebody's gotten in your way and has the ability to you know, shut down the play, then you're going to have to make a, dis- a different decision. And the way that I teach that part of the game is a lot of keep away. I think it's essential to a young player, right? So I have a mix of both a system that we would do in a drill sort of fashion. And then I also have a mix of a lot of hockey, just make a hockey play, decision-making, creativity, all that kind of stuff wrapped into one. I think that's why my teams generally do pretty well is because they have that mix of both.
0: So what would you say to
2: somebody who you know
0: the word system or structure is like a swear word (laughs) if that's what you want to say just just in terms of like because I really think that 30 percent of the time that you're talking about where things are not as structured I think those are really really important times because I think you can teach the structure part when you get older in terms of because white hockey isn't really hockey I mean, you, here, this is what we always talk about when we have these conversations is, okay, Tolf, when's the last time you saw a mic game? I freaking see it every day, you know? But from, I, just in talking with other people, like hockey doesn't really look like hockey until like 14 You until you're like a Bantam in terms of structure, in terms of where people's generally where they're supposed to be on the ice. So I think that 30% of the time that you were talking about in terms of it being a little bit more chaotic is a really important important, important thing. So how much do you weight that 30%? Is it 30%? And just, you know, this is kind of like a general statement in a question, but I think you're getting where I'm going.
2: Yeah. I mean, obviously it's a sliding scale that is dictated by the way the other team is playing the game against us. Right. So um, when you're talking about teaching all of that stuff and You know, maybe some days it's 60-40, maybe some days, you know, I mean, but the reality is, is that as when you're coaching little guys, there has to be a platform to start with, right? And I don't, this is where we're going to get into that other part of the discussion, which I'm sure you're going to love. I don't agree with that part of the USA Hockey, you know, philosophy,
0: which right? part is that? I, there's
2: a lot of things that I agree with USA Hockey, and then there's some things that I certainly don't agree with USA Hockey. Which, which is, part is it that you're talking about right now? Throw the puck on the ice and just let them figure it out, okay? I mean, my, my, my big contradiction to that is how many teachers did you have in school that walked into the room, threw the geometry book on the floor, and said, we got a test on Friday, figure it out, okay? I mean, all it just my doesn't work that All way. my teachers did. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. a, I mean, like there's a real life scenario and there's a what we wish it would be kind of thing, you know, and I think that the reality is, is that if you are dealing with little, little kids, meaning mites, okay, then you have to look at what are they truly capable of? Right? Are you going to say that eight year olds always make the best decisions or 90% of the time they make the best decisions or 50% of the times? What are they learning when they don't make a good decision and they fail? What if they're one of the kids that isn't maybe one of the strongest kids on the team and they're constantly failing in their decision-making if you leave it all up to them? Is that building a competent player or is that building a player that doesn't really feel very good about himself or the fact that he's playing this game because he's not very good at it? So I think a little help for them early on goes a long way towards their confidence, which will breed success going forward. And what do you mean
0: by a little help? Because I, I think that's where the gray area is, and that's the that's the question that we're ultimately trying to get at is that's is how I mean. much of that little help are you are you giving?
2: Yeah, that's the structured part of the thing, right? So, let's say a kid goes through two years of mites. Is that a long time in the hockey journey? It's, a, it's, it's ages. N- not really. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. I mean, honestly, you know, so if they go through their first two years of having more of a structured kind of play where they fully understand, you know, what they can and cannot do, where to be on the ice, how a team works together, all of those team building kind of things, right? And then they have a little bit of that unstructured stuff where they have to make a hockey play. I I think that that is a really, really good mix for mites. Can it be elevated or changed in some way at the squirt level a little bit? Sure, but do I still think a little bit of structure is still something that's good in a squirt game? Yeah, I do. By the time they get to peewee, they've gone through hundreds and hundreds of practices. They've gone through, you know, uh, how many games? I have no idea. All of that kind of stuff. And now I think you have the ability to kind of start sliding in at the peewee level more of the, you know, kind of intricacies of doing it on your own as opposed to following a basic system. I agree. I mean, I
3: I think that everything you always have to have pull from different sources. Like there's no one right way. You can't only do this. You can't only do that. So like, I definitely agree with you on that. But something that you said definitely triggered me trigger word is you said, <laughs> you, you said, um, Sister. my team, you said my teams do well every year, and for me, that's something that I see like with with parents that are in the young hockey world, and they're like, "My, oh, they're team, is, We're my going. team is my team is everyone's <laughs> triggered now." If you, if you listeners can see our video screen right now, everybody's triggered. But There's I'm, a I'm few not choice fingers going up right now. <laughs> I'm not trying to chirp, Uncle Tim. But something that I see with with some of these parents, all I hear is well we're ranked 23rd. Well we're ranked 10th. Well first of all, I hate my hockey ranks and I hate people talking about that. But when somebody's like, "Yeah, you know, we're doing really well this year. We're 10 and 2." Oh yeah, what, what are you playing? D1? Um they're 8. Okay, I don't care about the score. I I don't care are the kids getting better? I'm not saying they are, or they aren't the way you're coaching, but I think in the youth hockey world and youth sports world people put so much emphasis on that and it's the parents putting the emphasis on that and the coaches were, yeah, it's kind of a weird thing. You want to teach them to want to win, to want to like winning, to want to be winners, to want to give their all. But if you only focus on winning, I feel like you're cheating
2: development. Did you hear me quote a record? No, but I have before. Okay. So when I say that my teams are doing well, it is well from the perspective of, What do I believe they're learning? What can I see they're learning on the ice? And are they playing the game the right way instead of being a bunch of individuals who just grab the puck and run up and down the ice, which you know, that is what might hockey is all about. Yeah. I mean, there are so many teams out there that just let their best players take the puck and skate up and down the ice a thousand times. And they win all these things and this and that, whatever. I could care less about that stuff. Yeah. An interesting note, and maybe I'm giving a secret away, I hope there's not a lot of people in Mike Hockey in Chicago who are listening, but I literally make my teams, at, I wouldn't say every game, but I would say a majority of the games that we play, they have to play keep away for a certain period of time during the game. Some games I'll start off with the first five minutes of the game, we play keep away. We're not allowed to score. Kids ask me all the time, if I'm going in on a breakaway, what does that mean? That means you skate to the corner and you, you know, open up and look for somebody else to pass the puck to because we're not shooting. Now, does this drive the parents insane at the early, you know, early games of the season? Yes, it does. Right? Because they don't know what's happening. I never tell them because I kind of like to watch the stands and watch them all <laughs> It's kind of funny, actually. That's awesome. Uh, but But I explain it to him after, you know, I explain it to him after that. And, you know, and I just say, listen, this is going to be a part of the regular program. We might do it in the first period. You might do it in the second period. You might do it in the third period. Is there any reason for us to hammer this team 27 to nothing like some of these idiotic coaches do? But, you know, because it's all about them and not about their team. Uh, Yeah, we're not doing that. Okay, we're going to have a bit of class and we're going to understand what we're doing. And we're going to play keep away and we're going to move that puck and we're going to be satisfied and happy that we've been able to achieve, like, say, maybe hanging on to the puck in all three zones, right? Um, Do I tell my kids that they can go backwards or forwards? Yes, I do. If they want to go back into our zone just to maintain control of the puck, great, go, right? It's whatever you have to do to keep the puck away from the other team. I think keep away is a really underrated kind of thing. I go through a number of practices per year where my kids play for cones. So we'll put up two nets so that you can use the net as an obstacle. You know, if somebody's chasing you, something like that makes it more realistic. But the reality is they got to make five passes. They got to make five passes in a row without the other team touching or stealing the puck. And when they make those five passes, they get a cone. And if they win, Three out of four cones, they win the game, right? So it's a different way of teaching that 30% that we were talking about earlier when we're talking about hockey sense, making a hockey play.
0: Okay, well, let's get into the other part of the discussion that we have a lot. I think it it relates to this because we've been talking a lot about passing. You're talking about passing a lot right now. And uh, the the studies that I've seen, um, and it's not just the USA hockey study that we've talked about, you know, the one where they did that, the one day in Detroit, where they quantified from, from full ice to to half ice to cross ice, how many touches and all that kind of stuff. I've Mm -hmm. actually seen other, other studies that have, uh, that have shown that when you, you shorten the ice, there's more passing going on. So per player that's on the ice, um, because, because you even mentioned it before you even mentioned that might hockey is all about one guy getting it. And then going up the ice and skating up the ice. And then everybody thinks the coach is really good because they have one player. That's just physically more gifted than everybody else on the ice. And that's not hockey. Um, But the studies are showing that, and I've seen more than one, I've seen a couple of them that players get more puck touches. There's more passing in smaller areas. Um, You seem to be triggered right now.
2: Oh, I'm definitely triggered on what would you say to that? I would have to say that it depends on the coach what do I mean by that? Whatever message the coach is trying to convey to the kids is really more about how well he conveys that message to the kids and less about, you know, what, so to speak, he's, you know, uh, trying to coach, right? So if you have one kid running up and down the ice in a mic game, whether it's cross ice, full ice, half ice, it really doesn't matter. The reality is the coach is allowing it. Okay. Now if you go to a cross ice game and you've got a good coach out there who is constantly asking the kids or, you know, has already mentioned before they even started that this is a passing drill. We want to see you move in the puck. This is what's most important. Emphasize this. Then you're going to get that. So it really comes down to how well the coach relates the message to the players and whether that message is accepted or not, that is going to determine what you're getting out of any particular drill, practice game, so on and so forth. And the reality is there aren't always a lot of guys who focus on passing, but the ones who do, the ones who understand that that's a pivotal part of the game, they're pushing it and they're making sure that their kids are following in suit. I think you're going to develop a better player that way. I think that the individual, individual, mm, the individual can be developed over a number of, you know, practices, games, years, whatever you want to call it, in terms of their individual skill, right? But I think that if you start a kid off thinking about passing first, and then you give him the individual tool. Now he's going to have two tools in his toolbox and the one that he won first, that he learned first is going to be the one that he's going to, say, fall back on when it's really necessary to fall back on it, right? Or he's going to push that one himself first. So what Tok said is
3: there's more passes in cross ice. So if you want him to pass more, why don't you want him playing cross ice?
2: Well, you can, uh, let's put it this way. I I have taken issue. I'm not sure I want to do it here, but I will if you want me to. <laughs> I take issue with USA Hockey numbers and the way that they state how things have gone. Um, and I can give you, I'll just give it to you. A very simple example: Level Four Clinic, Columbus. Man, Ohio. hold on! We really
0: had to twist your arm to, to get <laughs> yeah, no, me. Holy crap! I love it,
2: man. Oh. All right. <laughs> Columbus, Ohio, level four clinic. You got a hundred coaches that are in there. And uh, let's just say a question that was asked to, let's just say a prominent amount of USA hockey staff members in the, uh, in the session, right at the end of the entire program. Um, I believe it was a guy from Canada. He was a guy who was drafted, all that kind of stuff. And they had just gone through the, you know, might to midget to junior ADM program, blah, blah, blah. And of course the guy says, okay, so is this the same program that your uh, NT, uh, NDTP team is following? And let's just say that they didn't get a Yes. So can you
0: maybe not beat around the bush? And like, I'm just like, I can't, I'm not really
2: following. It's a simple thing. If they're not willing to have their junior teams abide by the same principles that they're laying out to the rest of us, then why should the rest of us be, shall we say, pushed into following their methodology?
0: What principles are you talking about?
2: The ADM principles you know ADM is not just mites it's all they've got a program that goes all the way through no I get
0: that but it's very but the ADM really promotes being age specific so there's certainly going to be a lot of things that are going to be different at the younger ages than at the junior level
2: no but that's the point why isn't the national development team using what they cited you know it was specifically are there coaches following this program at this age level and like I said, we didn't exactly get a yes, and at that point, collectively, you could see the entire group of one hundred people who were leaning forward in their chair sit back in their chair, like the old sit back yeah, Got and it em. was kind of and and it was kind of like, well, you know, why are we getting this information? You know, where is it proven out, all that kind of stuff. And let's say that they've had some studies with Bantam two teams and Wee three teams that they like to throw up on their, on their uh, screens during these uh, sessions. And, you know, uh, let's put it this way. If you're in that league and you've got college coaches, former college coaches, D one college coaches, coaching in the Colorado Springs hockey league division three, whatever, you know, Pee Wee 2 or Pee Wee 3 and Bantam 2 team, I I would certainly expect that those coaches who are, shall we say, significantly more prepared to be a coach are going to develop players at a faster rate than the other coaches in that league. So, uh, and again, that was a collective sit back in the chair, right? So, I mean, I, I don't have... Like I said, I'm a 50-50 USA hockey guy and then maybe my own philosophies or others' philosophies and that kind of stuff. I think they've done a lot of really good things for the game, Uh, growing the game, uh, providing a program that, you know, when you have rural areas that don't have coaches that are, you know, have played or dads or things like that, they need help. They've got a program. They have a place for them to start so that we're at least developing some players from these areas that are, you know, have uh, the ability, uh, once they get into an older older age level, that maybe there's a spark and they can, you know, move themselves up somewhere. I, I think all that stuff is great. That just doesn't mean that I entirely agree with their philosophy from, you know, little guys on up. So...
0: So is it more, let me ask you this, because I get this question a lot, especially from my Chicago people. Is it more the philosophy that they're, um, that they're giving out, or is it more the implementation of that philosophy? Because a lot of the pushback that I hear from people is that, uh, and then Bob Mancini even said it himself when he came on here, when they rolled out the ADM years ago, was they, we probably didn't implement it and roll it out in the right way so what would you say to that question is it more the implementation and how they're doing things or is it the what in terms that well, you don't believe
2: I, I think uh you know i i honestly don't think i i'm one of those people where uh you know if i take a look uh over the course of the season if a kid plays 24 games something like that is that a ton of games in six months i don't think so you know for his league play and then maybe they play some tournaments and something like that I I don't really think that there's any dramatic difference between whether they play it on cross ice or half ice or full ice. The only difference being that USA hockey touts numbers that they themselves have collected. I'm not saying that they're wrong, but I'm also not saying that they're right. I don't know what all (laughs) of the, I don't know what what all of What does that
3: even mean? Well, it's like any study, like you go, yeah. I'm sure it's like the milk, the people who who are putting out the studies saying milk's good for you who's paying for that study the farmers that have cows that make milk so i mean i'm sure that that happens in literally every single type of avenue that you can have i would
0: i would actually agree with you in the sense that like if usa hockey wants to roll this out and they want to really promote the cross ice hockey and this i'm going to get triggered right now because this really pisses me off and it'll go back to the 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 thing that I posted on Twitter over the weekend about that article when the kid got bundled from behind the eight-year-old. So instead of people and sometimes it's USA hockey people being sarcastic and saying, Oh, you see what happens? And this, this would never happen in cross ice hockey and all that kind of crap. Why don't you do some more studies at a lot more different levels? And maybe if those numbers come out to what you're looking at, and you have much more data and much more information, people will be more apt to buy into the thing that you're selling. People are not going to buy into what you're selling if you're sarcastic and you're telling people they're dumb if they don't believe in you. And that's something that I think USA Hockey does, and it really aggravates me because I really like, I'm a big fan of the cross ice and the half ice hockey. There's a reason why Canada does it. There's a reason why Finland does it. There's a reason why Sweden does it. There's a reason why Switzerland does it all these other hockey federations that are out there. There's a reason why, because I think it works. But the rollout of it and the way that sometimes people get treated when they don't agree, like even you're bringing up some great points here, Timmy. I might not agree with everything that you're saying, but you're providing a perspective from somebody that's been in the business for a long time that I I think are really valid points. But there's people within USA Hockey and some of these governing bodies that would look at you and they wouldn't even freaking listen to what you're saying. And that's what gets me going a lot. And that really that really pissed me off over the weekend. Kid got hurt. Kid got like concussed. It was an awful, terrible hit. It's on Twitter. If you haven't seen it yet, go to my Twitter page. It's on there. It was a great article written um, about it. But rather than like they're using it as a, a platform to tout their, you know, one or two studies that they've done, even though I agree with them, but they're just coming off like jerks instead of this is actually a good idea, and here's why
2: and And I agree with you. I saw that i ha- I have some opinions on that, but before we segue to that, can I go back and mention one thing? The reason why all of these other countries in Europe and Sweden and you know Finland and everywhere else, the reason why they use that type of a program is because they simply do not have the financial wherewithal to produce more ranks to have more kids. Skating in different places than we do here in the as we do here in the United States. So the reality is, we have a lot more. I mean, in Chicago alone, it went from uh, I think uh, we counted one time at Christmas, I believe it was, that uh, when I first started playing, there were about 14 rinks, and they were all in the northwest suburbs, and then there were a couple further downstate. Now there's something like 54 or 60. I mean, I don't even know how many there are now because there's a lot more that are out there. Um, It may be even more than that. But I mean, that means that we have a lot more kids playing and a lot more ice for those kids to play on compared to some of these smaller countries who their rinks are driven by local park districts and things along those lines where they just don't have the facilities. So they've had to make do with what they have. So their programming is them making do with what they have to get the most kids on the ice that they can. I mean, I that's literally literally the way that those programs were developed.
0: I, I, don't, I don't know if I – I shouldn't say I don't know if I agree with that because I just don't know. I've never – I just don't know what you're talking but the fact of the matter is is these countries are utilizing these types of principles with the cross-ice hockey and not keeping yeah. score until whatever and they I don't want to say they're kicking our ass but per capita they're doing really well compared to per capita what we're doing like these countries and, and what
2: is it what is the metric that you're judging that on?
0: The metric that I'm judging that on? Yeah. There's these countries Finland and Sweden that have way less hockey players than we do that are coming over and competing with us at the highest stages of international play.
2: Is it possible that they, over the course of history, have players who get more ice over there than the rest of the population? And because they get more ice over there, because they're part of a specific program or team or whatever, that maybe what you're seeing is not necessarily you know, indicative of them, the program, but more the way the programs run?
0: Not sure I'm following your question.
2: Okay, so the question is, let's go back. Russia, 1980, the world's envy, greatest team ever, blah, blah, blah. They had been for a decade. How close is Russia to all those countries? Where is Sweden and Norway and Finland and all these other countries over there? Where are they going to look? to see the best hockey that they can possibly see, they're gonna to look to Russia. What does Russia do? Russia has schools, specific teams that some of the upper echelon kids get to go on. And when they go on those teams, they get more ice as a part of those teams and the rest of the general population gets whatever's left over. Okay, so that's essentially what I remember the model kind of being, is that yes, they do all these cross ice, types of things and this and that but that's to put more kids on fewer ice slots and their top teams they get the same kind of practice time that we do they're all their strongest teams they get that they do exactly the same kind of thing that we do they're not constantly playing cross ice all the way through until they're you know world juniors or or national team players they're playing you know at some point it kicks into a different thing now russia doesn't allow their kids to play, well, they didn't back in the day, they didn't allow their kids to play any games until they were 11 years old. But what is one of the games that they did play a lot of? Keep away. And I was there and I saw it for myself. I mean, I, this is one of the things that I saw when I was there. So, you know, I, I think that what we're talking about may be skewed just a little bit by the way that they run their programs and that their specific top end players aren't necessarily playing in that cross ice kind of system the entire time. Well if they are though a higher it's level because team, they don't
0: they don't they don't uh let's call it specialize into AAA until the kids get to about 15 16 years old. They play for their towns.
3: Yeah. And there's no ice in the summer in a lot of places in Europe. Rinks shut down. So it's not a thing with more ice. There's actually way more ice available here to players. Right. You were saying that they're getting more ice.
2: And in Europe, most places take the ice out. No, the stronger players that make the top teams get more ice. What I'm what I'm the, 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 so yeah, but I'm saying is that the younger players happen. here That get doesn't happen ice. until
0: they're older. That doesn't happen. Like, they don't even make top teams until Are they get sure to be 15, 16 years old. From right. what I understand and talking to – yeah, I mean, I've talked to guys from Finland about it.
3: Um, I played over there in, in Norway and Austria. They and
0: basically play for their town until they get to be about 15, 16 years old. And then when they get to that, then they go to, like, national maybe it's an or, academy or a national team or, or something like that. So the structure – so, is, what you're
2: saying is they don't have different levels of play at, let's say, eight years old, 10 years old, 12 years old, 13 years old. They just.
0: Maybe they go do out in their town. I group. think it might, maybe it depends on how many kids they have at each age group in the towns. But this I know is, that you play for your town.
2: But this is what, what I'm saying. I, I think you might want to dive a little deeper into what the individual, shall we say, organizations are doing and how they're structured at all those lower levels. Because what I've heard from, I've had some Swedes come over and play on some teams that I've had here uh, in Chicago, Um, you know, transfers in for, their parents have uh, transferred in for jobs, right? And so they end up coming and playing for us. Some of the discussions that I've had with them is that the system is different and it's catered toward the higher level players every level it doesn't really matter what it is and those higher level players they may be playing cross ice but they're getting in more time than the kids at the lower levels And that's how they split their ice because they don't have as much ice as we have here in the states so it's kind of a collective use of the ice so they still have different divisions of play they still have different levels within each age level for the kids to play against each other because you don't have the strongest playing against the weakest. And it runs almost the same way that we run things here, just that they don't have as many ranks. So they have more people playing on a single uh, surface than we do here. So they're getting places. better because they're playing cross ice? I mean, they're, they're forced to play cross ice because they don't have the facilities. But it's working is what Toph's saying. <laughs> How how is it working?
3: Well, because the, the per capita, I mean, they've got no players compared to the amount we have and they're producing as many.
2: Okay, so if we had less doing the things that we were doing, I mean, let's go to the next tier below those national teams and let's see what that next tier looks like. How many kids do we have that could compete on that stage, but there's only room for 17 to 20 of them? or 23, or whatever you want to call it. Okay? Do we know, I mean, are we taking any of that into account? We have a much wider pool to choose from, but we still have the same amount of spots. Okay? And it's the same thing over there, right? They have a smaller pool to choose from, but they have the same amount of spots that we have to put kids on a team. So that's what I'm kind of trying to say. I mean, I don't think that the program necessarily is the difference. I think it's the love of the game, the passion for the club, the passion of the individual, so on and so forth that, that determines where a player ends up, not necessarily. And, and a lot of that can be, I mean, for lack of a better word, bred into the kid from a very young age. If the entire family's into it, the kid's into it and off we go, right? So I, I, I just don't necessarily agree that it's the cross-ice program that makes them as good as they are. I think that it is probably, and by the way, they're really not any better than us on the world stage right now. We're all pretty much in that top five. And from year to year, all of those positions change. You know, Canada is always up there somewhere at the top. We're always up there somewhere in the top four, five. Okay. Russia's always there. Sweden's always there. I mean, there's, you know, Finland's always there. I mean, those are always the teams that are in the top five. So what's to say that they're doing something better than we are? I don't agree with that premise. I just well, the,
0: the argument is because they have, again, like you're saying, there's so much less of a pool that they're pulling from. We have so many more hockey players in, in USA and Canada than they yeah, but, do.
2: But we only have so many spots to give on a team. Why don't we put in a second team and see how that team does? We should be able to do that because we have a larger population. Maybe that team wouldn't fare any worse or any better. I mean, how are we making this decision? It still comes down to the same thing. The team, the player, the player's love of the game, the passion, the want, the hungry, all that kind of stuff. That's what determines somebody that goes to that highest level, not the amount uh, in the population. We all have the same amount of spots to give on a roster.
0: <laughs> well, I don't think you're. I don't think you're going to get any any uh, argument from us that the most important thing when it comes to hockey development is the passion. You know, I think I'd rather have my kid play for a coach that loves what he did and knows how to teach and cared about my kid that knew absolutely nothing about hockey than a guy that knows everything about hockey but was a you know complete buffoon and didn't care about the kids and all that kind of stuff i don't think you're gonna get any any disagreement hopefully from anybody on that uh again i have two daughters now and if they want to play hockey at some point their coach if i get to choose who it is to be honest like hockey is secondary teaching and 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 care is is the primary thing. And, and that, that does, it's funny, that gets lost in this whole debate between hockey development and what's the best structure for the kids and all that kind of stuff. Because I've never coached a kid that didn't go on to do great things that hated hockey. <laughs>
2: right.
0: I've, right. I've seen a lot of kids who didn't amount to their potential because they didn't like the game. That's for sure. But the kids yeah. have gone on to do some pretty cool things. They're, the, the one constant was that they just, they had a, a, a thirst, to, to want to get better and they just love to play. And yeah. so I think the debate that we're having is, <laughs> is a good debate, but it's almost like a secondary debate that doesn't really mean a whole lot if there's not the care and the passion and and uh, and all that other stuff that goes with it.
2: Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I mean, I you know, I think it's a hard – I think the argument is very difficult for everyone because everybody – you know, it's like anything else. It's polarized. Everybody's got a side. Everybody wants to be this, wants to be that. And, um, you know, we all choose to believe what we want to believe in the end, you know? Um, and I, I don't, I, I just, I feel like the player makes the player and then the player's experiences through life, coaches, teachers, parents, everything are all a part of that, what makes a player a player, kind of thing, right? And I think that if you don't have the internal drive to succeed in, it doesn't matter what you do—could be hockey, it could be life, it could be, you know, uh, tiddlywinks—I really don't care. You know, if you don't have that internal drive to be successful, you're not going to be successful. And the environment that you're brought in, in into this world in. Has a lot to do with whether you're going to follow this path or that path or another path. And, you know, so when we're talking about these foreign countries, there's a fervor that goes on in a lot of these places about, you know, the particular sport, whether it's soccer, hockey, whatever it is, that drills that passion into that kid. And maybe because that fervor is so, you know, so much smaller, it's got such a smaller circle, that fervor's a lot more intense and that drives some of these players to, you know, be able to compete with say us at the same level or Russia at the same level or Canada at the same level. The fervor of the community has some role to play in it. You know, I mean, it just, it doesn't, it, it doesn't really sync up when you only have 23 spots to give, you know, we can't just say, because they're a smaller country, that's their program works better than ours, you know, or they because their program is different. It's better because they have less players and they all come to the same level. That is probably the furthest thing from the truth. In my mind, it comes down to the individual and the passion within the individual and the hunger within the individual. That's really going to set them on a path to success and be able to attain a level. And, and let's put out there, The goal, the goal of being at that level. If it's more uh, in these other countries that are smaller countries, if it's more of a status symbol to attain that level in that country, and that's a part of that kid's life growing up because he might live next door to one of these guys that's playing on this team when he's a little guy and the passion is instilled in him. Well, of course, that kid is going to just like when the Hawks won and there was a, you know, per year, there was a 20% increase in players in Chicago. It's the same thing. Let me TV. ask you
3: this yeah. about the amount of fervor that you're fervor. using. Fervor. <laughs> haven't heard that word used in a minute. <laughs> Nicely done. Um, do you not think you're talking about increasing passion, increasing fervor, increasing, um, you know, all that drive and stuff like that? Do you not think kids' fervor and passion will be increased more in cross ice when they're touching the puck more? The game is all around them the whole time instead of the whole ice when they're barely touching the puck. They're skating around, around no one. There's no action. There's no energy. And I'm talking for like the little kids. Like, I, I'm sure you guys have both seen that video. I know uh, one of our podcast listeners tagged us on Twitter and I saw, saw it last year where they put adults in a uh, on a size rink out on a pond with the same size nets, the same size ice, maybe even the same size puck as, as it would be for kids. Like they just, uh, you know, ice. Yeah. congruently made the ice the size it would be for a kid. Like, that just makes sense to me. I mean, uh, you know, like, do you not think that it's more fun for kids when they're in close and they're having fun, and the puck's right there.
2: Number one, you're assuming that they're all having fun because. Well, no, I was just
3: asking. It was a question.
2: No, no, I'm with you, but uh, the assumption then I should assess say, their uh, fervor of most. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, uh, the assumption of most is that all of those kids are having fun, but the reality is, and I've seen this, uh, I've, I've. In our first few years, we did the whole cross ice, half ice thing. And to be honest with you, it's no different than anywhere else. The reality is some kids get lost in the shuffle and some kids are all over the puck every second of every day, which takes me back to the USA hockey study. When they talk about they get more touches, they get more touches. Well, who? Every single kid gets more touches or is nobody passing the puck and five kids are getting more touches than anybody else because they're the most passionate the most hungry, the most driven kids that are out there on the ice. It's not forcing them to pass as much as what you may think it is, at least in my experience, unless the coach steps in and makes him do it.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's something that's probably a good point. And one of the studies that I saw, I was a Czech guy. I can't remember what his name is right now. Maybe I'll I'll tweet it out or something, but he actually did a study of the it was a cross ice, it was a half ice, and it was a full ice study. And one of the things that he did is he made sure that for each team, and I think it was 20 games that he studied, it was the best players against the best players, the second best players against the second best players, and the third and like the the worst players against the worst players. And uh, even in those, when you, you stratified them and in, in the different capabilities, still the cross ice, uh, and the half ice, there was so much more puck touches and, and uh, one-on-one battles and, and all that kind of stuff.
2: Again, I'm with you on that, but I would love to qualify that by saying who's touching the puck, every kid or a handful of kids.
0: So you're saying when there's that the four best players out there against the other team's four best players, you still think that the overwhelming and, and this is from your experience and having watched these games because we haven't yep. um I've the, watched a lot of them the two best players in that top 4 are the only ones touching the puck and they're then the getting, other two aren't is that what it, you're saying
2: they're getting it more times than the other two for sure without a doubt without a doubt okay you know and when you have when you go to the lower levels the let's say the middle of the road kids and then the lower end kids When you go to those levels, you have kids who just absolutely, you know, the drive isn't there, which is okay. I mean, none of that really matters. But when you go to those lower end kids um, and the middle level kids, you have those who, let's say, aren't as fast as some of the other ones, uh, aren't as skilled as some of the other ones. So what they get all throughout that entire game is they maybe get the puck on their stick and it's stolen from them immediately where they get the puck on their stick and they try to make a pass, but they can't get it anywhere near one of their guys, right? Because you still have within those subgroups, you will still have stronger players and weaker players, right? Or stronger players, middle and weaker players. Well, I think that's In-
0: the same as full ice too. And don't you think that it would be better for the kids on on the smaller surface? Even though like... Why? Because you I mean still it, are getting more puck touches and more battles and more passes and
2: okay, more change of direction
0: creating, and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So is
2: that the creating, better kids are
0: going to have the puck on whether it's cross ice, half ice, or, or full ice. I mean, that's just a given.
2: Okay. I, so I, I guess my question is there, there's a kid that's constantly losing a battle or constantly not able to get a handle on the puck or constantly not, being able to make a difference in the game? Is that kid gaining confidence to be a better player or? Well, I think he's having,
0: I think he has the chance to get better at doing those things. I think those kids don't do anything in full ice. They just stand there and don't do anything. And waddle. Whereas when you put them in a situation where they actually are going to touch the puck and have to be engaged in those battles, then they get the chance to get better rather than just doing nothing.
2: And if a system drives the fact that everybody has to touch the puck, then you don't get to not pass to the kid who can't do it. And he has more time to make a play. And he has more time to be successful in making a play. And he doesn't have to make an amazing play where he's gonna you know, dangle some guy and roll up the ice. All he has to do is be a part of a team. And giving them that little bit of extra time and space, maybe in some cases a lot of extra time and space, uh, allows them to compete and be confident in what they're doing. That makes sense. Does that make them a better candidate to be a kid that's going to continue on in the game or a worse candidate? What about putting the best the players?
3: What about putting the best players in cross ice and then the lower half in full
2: ice? It's my it's my experience. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's my experience, honestly, that within every when you say the best players, you're gonna have like a two, four, six, eight, ten kind of structure in that top player kind of thing, right? You're gonna have two guys that are really the top, top guys. Then you're gonna have two guys that are the next best guys then you're gonna have two guys that are the next best guy, right? So, well, they're all playing together. So within that group that you're, unless you're just playing four on four and those are the only eight kids playing in the game, which is never the case, you are always changing lines, rolling kids in and out, right? So unless you take it down to that level where you're exacting, which is impossible to do by the way, exacting the individual against the individual, they are a perfect match 100% of the time. It's impossible. It's impossible to make those statements and believe that, you know, everything's going to be, you know, perfectly uh, set out to get to achieve the result that you want. And that's, that's why I asked that question about, do you really think it's more touches or do you really think that there could possibly be a different reality there where, yeah, a few of the kids that are stronger are getting a lot more touches and some of the other kids. I mean, little Jimmy looks at little Johnny. Little Jimmy's there's little awesome. Johnny again.
0: Little Johnny gets, little, gets beat on in this podcast little, all the time. Oh, little poor Jim, Johnny.
2: Little Jimmy's. Headed <laughs> at least to Jimmy's the there NHL. to help him
0: out now. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> all right.
2: Little Little Jimmy's headed to the NHL literally within a matter of days. I mean, every scout in the world is looking at him. Okay, and he's eight. And then little Johnny is you know, over in the, over in the corner. I mean, I'm just good, whatever, picking his nose and, you know, looking around and waving to mom in the stands and all that kind of stuff. And he's having a great time, but he's not playing. He's not playing with the rest of the group. Right. And little Jimmy looks up and sees little Johnny. And now Johnny's finally in a good spot. He's got his stick on the ice. He's ready to get that puck. And little Jimmy looks at him and goes, I'm not passing to that kid. He's terrible. Okay, so what does little Jimmy do? He's gonna roll to the net himself and do his thing. All right, little Johnny, even though he was into it for that 13 seconds, he's getting nothing out of it. All right, now, can a coach force in cross-ice kids to pass the puck? Yeah, but if you teach the kids a system then that's what they're learning is the puck goes from here to there, to there, to there, to there, to there, and we're out of our zone and heading down the ice. And that's what they learn, so that's what they know. So they're not really given an option to not pass that puck to poor little Johnny with the boogers on his fingers, right? They got to pass to him. And then all they're thinking is I get the puck at a, I have to pass to B who has to pass to C who has to pass to D. You're talking about seven and eight year olds. No, no, no. I know. I know. I mean, what it, there's always gotta be a foundation. Yeah. I agree. Just jump to a Bantam level kind of mentality with a mite. you know, and I'm going to say that maybe some of the superstar mites all on a tournament team, going somewhere and they're the brick, baby, baby. Yeah. I mean, whatever, if they want to go do that fine. Okay. But when you're talking about the little guys that are just getting started in the game and you're, you know, they're not the ones that are headed to, you know, private lessons before and after practice and then waking up at midnight to go skate for an hour <laughs> and then 6am to go skate for an hour, which is some of what these ridiculous things that happen here in Chicago are. All right. Uh, But the reality is, you know, everybody wants to say, oh, be inclusive, be inclusive. But then they don't want to drill it all the way down to where, you know, let's say in a cross ice game. Are they really all the kids being inclusive or are they throwing the puck down, letting them play and letting the game be the teacher? And there's not as much coaching, which is what the stated desire is. I just have a problem with that. I don't think that's right. I think that the better thing for the kids, you know, makeup, uh, personality, confidence, all of that only grows if they have the opportunity to succeed from time to time. Not float around the outside and watch, you know, six other kids touch the puck a hundred times and say, hey, guess what? There's more touches. Make sure it's by who. Got to be by every kid, not just by a handful at the top, yeah, to make sense. me believe in that whole thing. And what my experiences are watching all of that? Absolutely not. That is not the way that it works. It's the handful of kids that are running the show, and everybody else is just kind of floating around. And you know, a lot of time, if they're with me, they're forced to pass. I'm constantly telling them to pass, and then they do it a quarter of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Cause they're 10 feet from the net and they're going to shoot no matter what. Cause I'm going to McDonald's for a, you know, ice cream cone after the game, right. Or a happy meal, whatever. Okay. It's just not, there's a, like I said, there's a, there's a great faith in what a process should look like. There's a difference in the way that that process works in the, in the real world, you know,
0: Interesting My points. Opinion. Hey, no, interesting points. And that's, I think it was awesome to get you on here to, to have that, um, perspective because, you know, the, a lot of the conventional wisdom that's out there would probably disagree with some of the things that you say, but the way that you articulate it. And, and I think your why is, is really interesting of, we, we've we talked a lot of the, I, I, we have talked a lot of the why, but, um or sorry, the what, but I think your why is really interesting in it all being a part of a team game and making sure these kids are fostering a kind of love and, and confidence for the game. And when you wrap your arguments in that, it certainly, it's, dude, it makes a lot of sense. It certainly does make a lot of sense. I think um, there's a lot of valid points on the other side in terms of the the cross ice and then the half ice stuff, but to hear your perspective and your why on how you feel that way. I think uh, it, it'll make a lot of people really reflect that or listen to this right now. What do you think, Vax?
3: Oh, I, I loved it. I mean, you're very articulate. You're definitely when we're not in a room together where we could actually strangle each other <laughs> uh, physically, it definitely this is good. helps. This is that we resume. can't reach out and start <laughs> wrestling in the middle of grandma's <laughs> living room, knocking over her Christmas tree and presents. Yeah, so maybe we just need to talk about hockey via the telephone more often. We there should just
0: all get in separate rooms with computers. <laughs> That's what kids do nowadays anyway, right? Yeah. Uh, in the same house, along the different trend.
2: Different <laughs> Stretch the entire family out in different rooms, right? That, so we're going we're going to need like 27 rooms, right? For everybody Perfect. to sit we- down and figure out what we're
3: doing. It it allows us to not let our fervor get the best of us. There
2: you go. <laughs>
0: Oh, good stuff. Well, I know you guys, uh, got
3: to be on the ice and in the gym and
0: all that kind of stuff coming up here in a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. but Hey, I, I do, I do want to, before we go, uh, you obviously do a lot of really good work with the kids there in Chicago. And we do have a pretty good following in Chicago that listen to the podcast. So if you can, you do some pretty cool camps in the summer. Why don't you give you a chance to, to talk about what you do with hustle and flow
2: yeah so i mean uh hustle and flow uh we uh, we've been around for about uh six years now um, We have camps uh, from time to time at Johnny's. We got one coming up at Christmas uh, on the twenty third um, and then we uh we do our summer camps over at uh, McFetridge, which has uh, fantastic outdoor facilities, which is you know I'm a big proponent of floorball um which is obviously a european game I, think you, <laughs> I was you gonna say <laughs> So, uh, because I think that that's a way to get great, not only off-ice conditioning for the kids, but also it promotes their hockey sense because, you know, we put them into all kinds of uh, big games, small games, small area games, all kinds of stuff uh, during the summer. And, uh, and that helps with their hockey sense. But that is who we, who we believe that we are at Hustle & Flow. We are the uh, people that uh, create the complete player and, uh, and our focus is generally on, you know, basic hockey sense. And, uh, and we try to push that as much as we can, and we've been quite successful with it and, uh, happy that you brought it up. I'd like to urge anyone in the Chicago area to definitely look out,
3: hu- look up hustle and flow hockey, because, um, I'm not just saying this cause he's my uncle. I actually probably, uh, disagree with him more than I agree uh, with him on most points. However... <laughs> However, I was lucky enough to be on the ice with with my uncle Tim quite a bit when I was a kid coming to Chicago, and he always let me come and practice with his teams. And I think one thing that in today's hockey, you know, it's it's hard is do we you know you can't discipline kids too hard because uh, you know you're going to hurt someone's feelings, and you can't be too light on them because then we're letting them get away with everything. And I got to say, Uncle Tim probably does it better than anyone I've ever seen walking that perfect line of I want I want discipline. I want you to respect me. I want you to respect your teammates, respect the rink, teaching life lessons, but also making it fun. And that's something that Topher and I 100 percent believe in. It doesn't matter whether it's coaching hockey putting on hockey clinics like Tope does, me training my my guys in the gym. There's that line that you have to walk where you're teaching the lessons, you're being respectful, you're respecting the game, but you're also making it fun. So they want to do it. They want to come back and developing the passion for the next generation and the rest of your life. And I got to say, Uncle Tim, you do that better than literally anyone I have personally ever met. Um, So anyone in the Chicago area, definitely check out utshustleandflow.com.
2: I appreciate that, Jeff. And, uh, you know, maybe we're going to have to do a little something with Hockey Think Tank slash Hustle and Flow hockey camps up here in the uh, Chicagoland area once and see how that rolls. There you go. It'll be
0: hashtag fervor. That'll be the... uh, (laughs) That'll be the marketing tagline.
2: <laughs> Beautiful.
0: You bring Beautiful. the fervor; we bring <laughs> everything else. <laughs> well, oh man, this has been great, and obviously, I uh, I agree with everything that Jeff just said here, and uh, you know, I think uh, Timmy, you're a great coach and a great guy, and very happy to have you in uh, in our corner and uh, in our bloodline as well. As we can say, some of our genetics or some of your genetics. So that's why uh, you know Jeff is so funny, and I'm so short. Um, <laughs> you know so but uh no we appreciate you coming on the podcast and uh look forward to uh catching up at some time in the same room although maybe it's not maybe it's better to be on computers
2: (laughs) really great to be here and thanks for having me boys all right take care guys